Chapter 8A of Native Races and the War by Josephine Elizabeth Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bill Mosley. Chapter 8 The Theology of the Boers. Exploitation of Natives by Capitalists. British Colonizing. Its Causes and Nature. Character of Paul Kruger as a Ruler the moral teachings of the war our responsibilities hasty judgments denunciations of england by englishmen the open book my last word is for the native races even in these enlightened days there seems to be in some minds a strange confusion as to the understanding of the principle of equality for which we plead and which is one of the first principles laid down in the charter of our liberties what is meant in that charter is equality of all before the law not by any means social equality which belongs to another region of political ideas altogether a friend who has lived in south africa and who has had natives working for him and with him tells me of this confusion of ideas among some of the more vulgar stamp of white colonists who my friend observes amuse themselves by assuming a familiarity in intercourse with the natives which works badly it does not at all increase their respect for the white man but quite the contrary while it is as little calculated to produce self-respect in the native my friend found the natives naturally respectful and courteous when treated justly and humanely in fact as a gentleman would treat them above all things they honor a man who is just they have a keen sense of justice and a quick perception of the existence of this crowning quality in a man livingston said that he found that they also have a keen eye for a man of pure and moral life the natives in the transvaal have never asked for the franchise or for the smallest voice in the government in their hearts they hoped for and desired simple legal justice they asked for bread and they received a stone it does not seem desirable that they should too early become full-fledged voters some sort of education test some proof of a certain amount of civilization and instruction attained might be applied with advantage and to have to wait a little while for that does not seem from the englishwoman's point of view at least a great hardship when it is remembered how long our agricultural laborers had to wait for that privilege and that for more than fifty years english women have petitioned for it and have not yet obtained it although they are not i believe wholly uncivilized or uneducated the theology of the boers has been much commented upon and it is supposed by some that as they are said to derive it solely from the old testament scriptures it follows that the ethical teaching of those scriptures must be extremely defective a swiss pastor writes to me quote, it is time to rescue the old testament from the boer interpretation of it we have not enough of old testament righteousness among us christians this is true those who have studied those scriptures intelligently see through much that appears harsh and strange in the mosaic prescriptions 
a wisdom and tenderness which approaches to the christian ideal as well as certain severe rules and restrictions which when observed and maintained lifted the moral standard of the hebrew people far above that of the surrounding nations when christ came on earth he swept away all that which savored of barbarism the husk which often however contained within it a kernel of truth capable of a great development ye have heard it said of old times he reiterated but i say unto you and then he set forth the higher the eternally true principles of action yet if the transvaal teachers and their disciples had read impartially though even exclusively the old testament scriptures they could not have failed to see how grossly they were themselves offending against the divine commands in some vital matters i cite as an example the following commands given by moses to the people not once only but repeatedly had these commands been regarded with as keen an appreciation as some others whose teaching seems to have an opposite tendency it is impossible that the natives should have been treated as they have been by boer law or that slavery or serfdom should have existed among them for so many generations the following are some of the often repeated commands and warnings exodus twelve verse nineteen quote, one law shall be to him that is home-born and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you numbers nine verse fourteen quote, if a stranger shall sojourn among you ye shall have one ordinance both for the stranger and for him that was born in the land numbers fifteen verse fifteen quote, one ordinance shall be both for you of the congregation and also for the stranger that sojourneth with you an ordinance for ever in your generation as ye are so shall the stranger be before the lord verse sixteen quote, one law and one manner shall be for you and for the stranger that sojourneth with you leviticus nineteen verse thirty three quote, and if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land ye shall not vex him verse thirty four quote, but the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you and thou shalt love him as thyself for ye were strangers in the land of egypt quote, verse thirty five quote, ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment in meat yard in weight or in measure although the natives of the transvaal were the original possessors of the country they have been reckoned by the boers as strangers and foreigners among them they have treated them as the ancient jews treated all gentiles as forever excluded from the commonwealth of israel until in the fullness of time they were forced by a great shock and terrible judgment to acknowledge with astonishment that god had also to the gentiles granted repentance into life and that they also had heard the news of the glorious emancipation of all the sons of god throughout the earth not only is the non-payment but even delay in the payment of wages condemned by the law of moses is it possible that lower theologians who quote scripture with so much readiness have never read the following leviticus nineteen verse thirteen 
quote, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Deuteronomy 24, verse 14. Quote, Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of the strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. Quote. Verse 15. Quote, At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. Quote. Jeremiah 22, verse 13. Quote, Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages, and giveth him not for his work. Malachi 3, verse 5. Quote, and I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. The following is from the New Testament, but it might have come under the notice of Boer theologians and lawmakers. The Epistle of St. James, 5, verse 4, quote, Behold the hire of the laborers, who have reaped down your field, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Verse 3. Your gold and your silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you. Jeremiah 35, verse 17. Quote, because ye have not proclaimed liberty every man to his neighbor, behold, I proclaim liberty for you, saith the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine. I am aware that there will be voices raised at once in application to certain English people of the very commands here cited, and justly so. So far as that application is made to individuals or groups of persons, who have transgressed not only biblical law, but the law of our land in their dealings with native races. And the warning conveyed to us in such recriminations must not, and I believe will not, be unheeded. The following occurs in a number of the Ethical World, published early in the present year. Quote, we know that capitalists, left to themselves, would mercilessly exploit the labor of the colored man. That is precisely the reason why they should not be left to themselves, but should be under the control of the British Empire. It is a reason why crown colonies should supersede chartered companies. It is a reason for much that is often called shallow imperialism. If the present war had been staved off, and if by mere lapse of time and increase of numbers without British intervention, the outlanders had come to be the masters of the South African Republic, they might have established a system of independent government quite as bad as that now in existence, though not hardened against reform by the same archaic traditions. To my mind, some of the published utterances of the originator and members of the chartered company 
are not such as to inspire confidence in those who desire to see the essential principles of british law and government paramount wherever great britain has sway there is the old contemptuous manner of speaking of the natives and we have heard an expression of a desire to eliminate the imperial factor this elimination of the imperial factor is precisely that which is the least desired by those who see our imperialism to mean the continuance of obedience to the just traditions of british law and government the granting of a charter to a company lends the authority or the appearance of it of the queen's name to acts of the responsible heads of that company which may be opposed to the principles of justice established by british law such acts may have disastrous results it is to be hoped that the present awakening on the subject of past failures of our government to enforce respect for its own principles may be a warning to all concerned against any transgression of those principles continental friends with whom i have conversed on the subject of the british colonies have sometimes appeared to me to leave out of account some considerations special to the subject they regard british colonization as having been accomplished by a series of acts of aggression solely inspired by the love of conquest and desire for increased territory this is an error i would ask such friends to take a map of europe or of the world and steadily to regard it in connection with the following facts our people are among the most prolific if not the most prolific of all the nations energy and enterprise are in their nature together with a certain love of free breathing adventure and discovery now look at the map and observe how small is the circumference of the british isles Quote, our empire has no geographical continuity like the russian empire it is that larger venice with no narrow streets but with the sea itself for a high road it is bound together by a moral continuity alone what are our sons to do must our immense population be debarred from passing through these ocean tracts to lands where there are great uninhabited wastes capable of cultivation what shall we do with our sons and our daughters innumerable as the ways become overcrowded in the motherland and energies have not the outlets needful to develop them shall we place legal restrictions on marriage or on the birth of children or prescribe that no family shall exceed a certain number you are shocked naturally it follows then that some members of our large british families must cross the seas and seek work and bread elsewhere the highest and lowest representing all ranks engage in this kind of initial colonization our present prime minister a younger son went out in his youth as others of his class have done with his pickaxe to australia to rank for a time among diggers until called home by the death of the elder son the heir to the title and estate this necessity and this taste for wandering and exploring has helped in some degree to form the independence of character of our men and also to strengthen rather than to weaken the ties of affection and kinship with the motherland 
many men nobly born and gently nurtured have thus learned self-dependence to endure hardships and to share manual labor with the humblest and such an experience does not work for evil then when communities have been formed some sort of government has been necessitated an appeal is made to the mother country and her offspring have grown up more or less under her regard and care until self-government has developed itself the great blot on this necessary and natural expansion is the record from time to time of the displacement of native tribes by force and violence when their rights seem to interfere with the interests of the white man of such action we have had to repent in the past and we repent more deeply than ever now when our responsibilities towards native races have been brought with startling clearness before those among us who have been led to look back and to search deeply into the meanings of the present great history-making war The personality of Paul Kruger stands out mournfully at this moment on the page of history. Mr. Fitzpatrick wrote of him in 1896 as follows, The thought is almost as true of the old Dopper president as it was of its originator. For in matters of external policy and in matters which concern the Boer as a party, the president has his way as completely as any anointed autocrat to anyone who has studied the boers and their ways and policy it must be clear that president kruger does more than represent the opinion of the people and execute their policy he molds them in the form he wills by the force of his own strong convictions and prejudices and of his indomitable will he has made the Boers a people whom he regards as the germ of the Afrikander nation, a people chastened, selected, welded, and strong enough to attract and assimilate all their kindred in South Africa, and thus to realize the dream of a Dutch Republic from the Zambezi to Cape Town. In the history of South Africa, the figure of the grim old president will loom large and striking picturesque as the figure of one who by his character and will made and held his people magnificent as one who in the face of the blackest fortune never wavered from his aim or faltered in his effort and it may be pathetic too as one whose limitations were great one whose training and associations whose very successes had narrowed and embittered and hardened him as one who, when the greatness of success was his to take and to hold, turned his back on the supreme opportunity and used his strength and qualities to fight against the spirit of progress, and all that the enlightenment of the age pronounces to be fitting and necessary to good government and a healthy state. To an English nobleman who, in the course of an interview, remarked, My father was a minister of the Queen the dutchman answered my father was a shepherd it was not pride rebuking pride it was the ever-present fact which would not have been worth mentioning but for the suggestion of the antithesis he too was a shepherd a peasant 
it may be that he knew what would be right and good for his people and it may be not but it is sure that he realized that to educate would be to emancipate to broaden their views would be to break down the defenses of their prejudices to let in the new leaven would be to spoil the old bread to give to all men the rights of men would be to swamp forever the party which is to him greater than the state when one thinks of the one century history of that people much is seen which accounts for their extraordinary love of isolation and their ingrained and passionate aversion to control much too that draws to them a world of sympathy and when one realizes the old president hemmed in once more by the hurrying tide of civilization from which his people have fled for generations trying to fight both fate and nature standing up to stem a tide as resistless as the eternal sea one realizes the pathos of the picture but this is as another generation may see it we are now too close so close that the meaner details the blots and flaws are all most plainly visible the corruption the insincerity the injustice the barbarity all the unlovely touches that will by and by be forgotten sponged away by the gentle hand of time when only the picturesque will remain and now that his sun is setting in the midst of clouds and the great ambition of his life lies a ruin before him and age disappointment and sorrow press heavily upon him reproach and criticism are silenced compassion and a solemn awe alone fill our hearts a late awakening and repentance may not serve to maintain the political life of a party or a nation but it is never too late for a human soul to receive for itself the light that may have been lacking for right guidance all through the past and god does not finally withdraw himself from one who has ever sincerely called upon his name i beg to be allowed to address a word in conclusion more especially to certain of my own countrymen among whom i count some of my valued fellow-workers of the past year these latter have been very patient with me at times when i have ventured a word of warning in connection with the abolitionist war in which we have together been engaged and perhaps they will bear with me now but whether they will do so or not i must speak that which seems to me the truth that which is laid upon my heart to speak i refer especially to the temper of mind of those whose present denunciations of our country are apparently not restrained by considerations derived from a deeper and calmer view of the whole situation when god's judgments are in the earth the people of the world will learn righteousness are we learning righteousness am i are you friends learning righteousness i desire at least to be among those who may learn something of the mind of god towards his redeemed world even in the darkest hour but you will tell me perhaps that there is nothing of the divine purpose in all this tribulation that god has allowed evil to have full sway in the world for a time 
others among us as firmly believe that there is a divine permission in the natural vengeance which follows transgression that we are never the sport of a senseless fate and that god governs as well as reigns god's fruit of justice ripens slow men's souls are narrow let them grow my brothers we must wait end of chapter eight a recording by bill mosley llano county texas usa